Hi there, welcome to Jake's place. Overlooking the beautiful north shore of Lake Erie. I'm your host, Tia McGrath, and this is my podcast for storytellers. It's that time of year again. It's Halloween. Welcome to the Spooky Jake's Place Songs and Tales Cafe. I hope you have a cup of something wonderful brewing. Hey, Tommy. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Spooky time. We have so much fun with these Halloween episodes. Um, Our first one, I think, is still... Number one. Number one of all of our podcast shows. It's the number one downloaded podcast that we have right now. It's the last Halloween party we did last time. Yay. So we're going to bring you something really cool today. And we want to thank all of you for joining us here at Jake's Place Songs and Tales. We hope you're having a wonderful day. There's a lot of scary stuff happening in the world right now. And um, we really don't want to get hung up on that or start digging around scary things. There's enough scary in the world. So we thought we would start with something fun, a funny Halloween story. How about that? Which is only Canadian. This can only happen in Canada. Well, maybe maybe Wisconsin. Maybe maybe Wisconsin. Um, so this is an article that was posted in October 25th, 2023, CBC News, um, an article written by Andrew Kurjata. A BC man, British Columbia man, got a bit of a scare followed by a rare treat when a moose became entangled in a Halloween decorations this week. <laughs> Shaden Sosie and his wife Sydney were driving to a friend's house in Fort St. John in northeastern British Columbia on Saturday when they spotted a man using a tube to try and pull Halloween decorations out of what they first thought was a tree. I looked at my wife and was like, what in the heck is he doing? Sousie said before realizing, oh wait, that's a moose. There's a moose with Halloween decorations on its head. The bull moose, which has been seen by people in the airport subdivision neighborhood in recent weeks, had gotten some black webbing and a decorative skull stuck on its antlers and was shaking its head trying to get it off, attracting some would-be helpers. Andrew Raw heard the noise of the attempted rescue from his house and went to the window to see a group of people gathered trying to help the animal. Unwilling to get too close, he walked behind a chain-link fence to take some video of the action. As soon as it saw me walk over to the fence, it started walking over to me, he said. Sousy joined Ra behind the fence, and when the moose cocked its head downward, was able to take hold of the decorations and pulled them off. It's kind of like he knew I was going to be attempted to help him, he said. After the decorations were removed, the moose started licking Sousie's hand and even let him give him a small pat, something Sousie admits he probably shouldn't have done given the potential dangers. (laughs) (laughs) Sousie says as an experienced outdoorsman, he understands getting close to wildlife isn't the best idea. But as a former farmer, his instinct to help an animal in distress automatically kicked in. Oh, we love him. And when the moose leaned up its nose toward him, he couldn't help but reach out to pet it. I would advise against it and probably wouldn't do it again, but in the moment it was worth it, he said. 
it's definitely the most Canadian thing I've done. <laughs> I love that line. Definitely the most Canadian thing I've done. <laughs> Tommy, you are American. Yes. Living in Canada. Mm -hmm. What is the most Canadian thing you've done? Uh, besides moving to Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah. <laughs> Dog sled races that we went to oh. up in, um, up in uh, Halliburton. Muskoka, right. That was oh, so much fun. That was awesome. I've never seen, um, yeah. you know, a thousand huskies screaming racing, and screaming and hollering and, and racing around forest trees and stuff. That was so, so cool. Yeah. In the middle of a blizzard. Right, right. We were bundled up. We had yeah. a great time. Um, but right now it is Halloween and we're, we're not thinking about snow. We're thinking about fall leaves and pumpkins, carving pumpkins and... Um, so whatever you're doing this Halloween, we hope that you have some scary, fun things to do. And while we're moosing around, <laughs> let's play our song, Moosed Up World. Okay. <laughs> with my 
Well, we are having a blast here at our Halloween party. <laughs> we hope you are too. And before we get into our next segment, I just want to give a big shout out to Global Pet Foods on 50 Dundurn Street South in Hamilton. Say thank you guys for sponsoring today's episode. And uh, you little monsters down there, Bonnie and the monsters at Global Pet Foods, you guys rock. Thank you so much. We're going to be seeing you in November, November 18th. We're going to be down at Global Pets Foods in 50 Dundurn Street South in Hamilton doing our Songs and Tales presentation. So if you're in the area, come on by. Global Pet Foods, eat, play, love. Long Point Bird Observatory or LPBO, is the founding program of Birds Canada, which operates research, education, and training programs focused on orthonology. (laughs) (laughs) Try saying that three times. (laughs) Conservation and other aspects of natural history at Long Point, Ontario, Canada. In fact, if we walk down to the bay right now, we can look out and see Long Point Bay, Long Point stretching out into the bay. Long Point Bird Observatory is a member of the Canadian Migration Monitoring Network and advances sound and ethical banding principles and techniques promoted by the North American Banding Council. Yes, birders, birders, if you ever want to come to the most beautiful place in the whole wide world, come to Long Point. Um, this, is, this is quite the place for, for birders of all, of all around the world. And in fact, our tundra swans haven't flown in yet, but we should be getting them anytime soon as they migrate south. They stop here. And of course, this is a time of year for owls. <laughs> We're going to go see owls being banded at Halloween. Well, I had the chance to visit the LPBO's Old Cut Research Station and Visitor Center and chat with my beautiful friend, Betty Cheney. Betty volunteers on Thursday mornings. And we went down and and had a chance to talk to Betty, not only about the birding, so you're going to get some birding today, guys, but also share some haunting local ghoulish stories. Let's start with birds. Well, Betty, thank you for joining us today on our special Halloween episode. Um, In a little bit, we're going to dig into some skeletons of the Long Point, Norfolk County area for Halloween. But right now, you're going to walk us down this beautiful trail. Can you tell us what we're doing here at the Long Point Bird Observatory and what we're about to see? Absolutely. And thank you for coming to the Long Point Bird Observatory. We really welcome all the guests. Well, if you will come with me, we're going to walk down the trail and I will show you how the birds are caught because before we can ban them, we have to catch them. So, come with me. And we've got some little chipmunks running around near our feet. We sure do. This is beautiful. Lots of fall colors. The leaves are all around us. It is Gorgeous. gorgeous out here. Okay, this is called a mist net. And you can hardly see it. I couldn't even see it. Yes. Well, the birds will fly at this level, get caught in the net, and there's a pocket that forms down here at the bottom. And they just kind of wait here 
and then our banders, our volunteer banders from all over the world, by the way, uh -huh. will come and extract the bird from the net. No bird is ever harmed by by coming flying into the net or by being taken out of the net because these people are highly trained right. and they know exactly what they're doing. Now, and this is just to describe this for people listening. Yes. So the lower, it's like two-tiered. The lower part is about your shoulder width mm -hmm. and the other one is about our... Oh, it goes all the here. way up to oh the top. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> so Look. it's probably about 10 feet tall. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Wow. So at all the different levels, wherever the birds are flying, yeah. they can fly right into this mist net. And it's like a fishing net, but very, very fine. Soft. Too. And, and um, not obvious that it's here. So the birds don't see it and fly right into it. And that's how we get our subjects for, <laughs> for the, the banding. Uh, banding process. And what's it made out of because it's so fine? It's probably a nylon. Yeah, it wow. is very, Yet very strong enough to catch them, yes. but not not exactly going to hurt them. Yes. Oh, and sometimes you catch leaves <laughs> in them as well. And the pathways um, are are right through the whole area, the the woods that are oh, located here at um, Old Cut. And of course, people come. From all over the world, bird lovers come from all over the world to study our birds here. Yes, they do. Are you open year-round? No, we're open um, during migration times. So that's why we're open this fall, is because the birds are migrating back south for the winter months. In the spring, we'll open up in April because then the birds are coming back from their winter grounds. And of course, and my favorite tundra swans. Oh, yes. They well, <laughs> haven't seen them or heard them this year. Have they been, they haven't come through yet, have they? Not yet. Um, they should be coming any time now. Oh, we can hear the little birds twitting. Yes. In the trees. If you come with me this way, we've got a few more nets up. And of course, they just finished taking the birds out of the nets. So I don't know if we'll see. So the anything. banding process then is quite something. Have you banded birds yourself? No, I'm, I'm not trained to do that. So it's only trained people who can do that. So our banders who come here come from all over the world, as you said. And they, are, they have to be trained and certified in order to extract the birds from the nets and for banding. I guess they have taken all the birds out of the nets. So, so we'll go into, into the lab. Yes. And then you can um, see what is done. Because it's not just slap a band on the bird and let it go. Right. There's a lot of data that's gathered. Mm -hmm. And that data is stored for every bird that is banded. Here at Long Point Bird Observatory, we have banded over one million birds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Have people, where is the furthest away that someone has let you know that they found a bird that was banded here? I will have to find that out from okay. our experts in the lab. Okay. Um, I know that um, it's really hard to find the bands because some of them are very small. Mm -hmm. And if the bird drops and passes away um it's very hard to yeah, find those bands yeah. again and of course right now 
um, being Halloween, we're also talking about scary. Yes. So we have a lot of owls here. We have a lot of yes. hawks here. Um, the night hawks, of course. Uh, of course. And so you were telling me earlier about the owls. This is, this is a special time for owls. This is a special time for the Sowet owl. It is the smallest bird that we have here in Ontario. And um, on a cloudy evening and the wind is blowing from the north, that will bring our little sowets into the nets. Oh. So they are just adorable. They're only um, maybe 8 to 10 inches tall, and they are the cutest things. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so the babies must be adorable. Oh, they must be. Aww. I've never seen them, but, but yeah. they are passing through soon. Mm -hmm. um, I have captured a few of them. Um, earlier, but uh, there there will be a big push for right. them. As soon as it gets cooler, the winds from the north, and if it's a cloudy evening, that's the best time for them to be caught because they don't like clear nights because they're very visible, and the hawks, oh. the larger hawks, can uh, capture them, and the larger owls could oh, capture them yeah. and, and predate them. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want that to be happening. And they know. <laughs> They're very, yeah. very smart. And the instinct tells them only travel when it's cloudy because then the hawks won't and the Isn't other eagles. Isn't it amazing? And, yes, Mother they are. Mother Nature. So which would you say for our Halloween episode, which would you say is the scariest bird that we have in Norfolk County? Oh, it has to be the turkey vulture. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not an owl at all, but the the uh, great horned owls are definitely, you know, symbols of Halloween. Right. However, but to me, the uh, turkey vulture, because uh, I've seen them on the rooftops of some barns with their wings <sighs> outspread, and they're just waiting for something to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We're on the road. We've even seen them oh, on the road, absolutely. right? Absolutely. They don't move. You think you're going to hit them and they they're not giving up that breakfast. Oh, that's they're, for they're sure. Vittles. No. <laughs> Well, thank you, sure. Betty. Now yes. we're going to go back and we're going to dig up some some hauntingly ghoulish stories. Okay, yes, and we some will skeletons do about Norfolk County. And uh, so so let's let's head back. Shall okay, we? we'll do that. Great. So while Betty's getting her stories together, we're going to take a minute and talk about our next sponsor, Pure Wet Wipes. Now these things are incredible. In fact, I'm I'm so smitten by these Pure Wet Wipes that we gave Betty for being a guest on the show, her own package of them. Uh, PureWetWipes.com. They are plant-based, biodegradable, hypoallergenic, and ecologically safe for the whole family. No water, no problem. Pure Wet Wipes will take care of your monster pet messes. <laughs> Enjoy using them indoors and outdoors. They're great for cleaning your pets during the messiest of times. While on the go or at home, playing in the mud or grass, snow or salt, your pet will be feeling fresh and looking clean. No mess is too big for pure wet pet wipes to refresh <laughs> your pet, your best friend, to glorifying beauty. And they also have them in human so I gave Betty the hand and face wipes, and these things rock. They're, they're amazing. I have really sensitive skin. I was able to use them on my face to take off my makeup. 
I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but I did. <laughs> and it was awesome. So thank you, Pure Wet Wipes, for sponsoring today's show. And we're going to get back to Betty's haunting stories. Cue the scary music, Tommy. <laughs> we're going to hear some ghoulish tales from Norfolk County. Red yes, by Betty. Yes, we are. Okay. Well, you grew up on Radical Road. Mm-hmm. I grew up on Troyer Road. And Troyer was Doc Troyer, who was the first medical practitioner here in Norfolk County. So I'll have a story for you about him. His patients were far between, and in his case, it may be truly said that he had an extended practice. He was insanely superstitious, being a hopeless and confirmed believer in witchcraft. This peculiar mental malady caused him a world of trouble and made him ridiculously notorious. To prompt the the recital of some witch stories, all that is necessary is to mention the name of Doc Troyer in the presence of an old settler in the county. The name Doc Troyer and the term witches were so interwoven in the minds of the old people that they cannot think of one without being reminded of the other. The old doctor was terribly persecuted by these witches. All his troubles of mind and body were attributed to the witches who existed in human form and possessed miraculous powers of producing evil. He looked on certain of his neighbors as witches, one of the most dreaded being the widow of Captain Edward McMichael. Mrs. McMichael was a very clever woman, and to be considered a witch by the superstitious old doctor was highly amusing to her. She was a woman of strong mind and great courage, and it is said she frequently visited the lonely ravine and made grimaces at the poor old doctor from some recess or clumps of bushes just for the pleasure it gave her to tease and torment him. Oh, she was quite the, quite the lady. Well... Maybe I'm using that word a little bit loosely. (laughs) He was a great stutterer, and her appearance in the ravine would throw him into a fit of wild excitement, during which he would stutter and gesticulate in a threatening manner. He was a great deer hunter, but if he chanced to meet Mrs. McMichael when starting out on a hunting expedition, he would consider it an omen of evil luck and ill luck, and would turn around and go home so the hunt was over. He kept a number of horseshoes over the door of his house and at the foot of his bed a huge trap was bolted to the floor where it was set every night to catch witches. The jaws were about three feet long and when shut about two and a half feet high. There are people in Port Rowan today who have a distinct remembrance of having seen the witch trap in Dr. Troyer's bedroom. But in spite of this defensive means, the witches would occasionally take him out in the night and transform him into various kinds of animals and compel him to perform all sorts of antics. Whenever he met with an experience of this kind, he would suffer from its effects for some time afterward. One night, the witches took him out of a peaceful slumber transformed him into a horse and rode him across the lake to Dunkirk where they attended a witch dance. 
They tied him to a post where he could witness the dance through the windows and fed him rye straw. Poor fellow. The change of diet and the hard treatment to which he was subjected laid him up for a long time. It required several doses of powerful medicine to counteract the injurious effects of the rye straw and restore his digestive organs to a normal condition. Strange as it may appear, Doc Troyer believed all this. Yet, aside from witchcraft, he was considered a sane man. He is described as wearing a long, white, flowing beard. Have you got the picture? And is said he lived to be 99 years old, in spite of the witches. (laughs) And that just before his death, he shot a hawk offhand from the peak of a barn roof. We would never do that around here ever again. (laughs) That's the story of... Doc Troyer. (laughs) Thank you, Betty. You're welcome. Some strange medicine there. Oh, (laughs) the witches had him just completely in their spell. You're a million miles away tonight. Hypnotized by the firelight. In your caravan of dreams Can I be your gypsy queen? Like a raven I'll be free Take my heart, steal away with me My love surrender every need Let me be your gypsy queen And I'll be Anywhere you want to run Just to see Your body shine In the midnight sun I'll be your kid and gun Silver beads. I feel your footprints in the sand beneath my feet. I see the wild desire in your eyes tonight. Come shadow me in the naked moonlight. And I'll be anywhere you want to run just to see your body shine in the midnight sun. I'll be your kin and gun Kin and gun
You're a million miles away tonight Crystallize in a firelight In a vision I have foreseen I will be your gypsy queen And I'll be to see your body shine in the midnight sun and I'll be anywhere you want to run I'll be your kin and gun kin and gun You just listened to my song, Kinnigan, Gypsy Queen, on my album called Jules Cafe. And when I was writing the song, I called my Transylvanian grandmother and I said, Grandma, I'm writing a song called Gypsy Queen. How do you say it in Transylvanian? And she said, Oh, Tia, it won't rhyme with anything. It's Kinnigan. And I went back and worked on the chorus. And lo and behold, it fit perfectly. <laughs> she knew. Just another scary moment here on our Jake's Place Songs and Tales <laughs> Halloween. Yes, you are listening to your Transylvanian host, Tia McGrath. And but right now, let's get back to my friend Betty Cheney, because she has another story to tell about our local haunted road. Ooh, scary. Spooky hollow. This, the last story was from um, Settlers of Long Point. Um, it, it's an old book, but the accuracy of that is, is really quite incredible. Now, this story of Spooky Hollow, it's very close to where you grew up, Tia. This story was written by Monty Sonnenberg uh, for the Simcoe Reformer, October 30th, 19, or 2014. So it comes from a newspaper article. So Spooky Hollow. The drive into Normandale from Highway 24 goes from scenic to dramatic in a hurry. The change is so ominous that Norfolk decided long ago to give it an appropriately ominous name. Our forefathers called the 1.2-kilometer stretch in question Spooky Hollow. The name is old and derives from the fact that people entered from either end felt like they were being swallowed up by the forest. It's a beautiful forested uh, drive through there. Stories abound about Spooky Hollow. Many are related to a fire there more than a hundred years ago. Spooky Hollow was once served uh, by a hotel. The hotel burned. That much is true. But the story behind it became embroiled in the retelling. One story holds that someone died in the blaze. If you want to hear the victim's agonizing screams echo in the distance, go to Spooky Hollow at midnight on Halloween, strike a match, and listen carefully 
to what happens as the flame burns down. <laughs> Another tale is that sisters Bonnie Castleton and Patsy Holmes, both of Walsh, have heard variations on this theme. They should know. During the Depression, the pair were raised along with eight brothers and sisters in the only house in Spooky Hollow. The story they've heard most often is that about a traveling salesman who was murdered and gorily dismembered at the hotel. Legend has it his ghost can be seen at night riding through the hollow aboard a specter horse, searching for his missing head. The stories were amusing, but the family never took much stock in them. The sisters remember a time when superstitions were stronger than they are today. In the past, some genuinely feared Spooky Hollow. Fear, however, was never a problem for that family. In fact, the sisters remember Spooky Hollow being a lovely, enchanted place. We're at the Long Point Bird Observatory and the geese are going overhead. (laughs) Thank you for the special effects. (laughs) Okay, Spooky Hollow being a lovely, enchanted place, much like it is today. The girls would say, Good heavens, no, it never entered our minds of it being spooky or anything, Castleton said this week. My parents used to keep a big garden and we used to sleigh ride down the hill. We had a good old time. People used to drive down there and lock their doors when they passed through. It was just crazy. They were disconcerting moments, though. Holmes was born on a family homestead. She was born in a room at the front of the house where her mother, Erie Cornell, eventually died. Her brother, Larry, also died in the same room after suffering a heart attack. Oh. (gasps) I wonder. Yes. My father, Stuart Cornell, used to tell me I was the only real spook he knew. (laughs) Holmes said, when I lived there, I had no spooky experiences. The Cornell family owned the property from about 1935 until 1975. Today, much of Spooky Hollow is owned and managed by the Hamilton Naturalist Club. And that's a story about our our own Spooky Hollow. Thank you, Betty. You are most welcome. wonderful stories. Those are great. See, and it just goes to show everyone, you don't have to go far from your own back door or maybe inside your house. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to find some Halloween excitement this year. Exactly. Right? And there's... A hermit thrush. Oh, a hermit thrush. Oh, oh, oh okay. okay. All right. Betty, it calls. Yes. The hermit the, thrush calls. It does. <laughs> Not the nighthawk, but, <clears throat> but hermit the hermit thrush. We'll let you shall go, we, Betty. Shall we go? We'll let you go. And okay. Okay, let's go see it. So it's, we'll come. Yes. Come. yes. We'll go Great. see it. Great. Thank you. Okay. So we're into the, the laboratory with Steph, and she's going to explain what we found and what's going to happen today. So we've got two birds here. I'm just taking them out of our bags that we carry them in, keep them safe while we're walking back from the nest. Just give me one moment. It's like a little cloth bag, isn't that? Oh, so they're nice and protected in there. And it keeps the birds calm. The little cloth bag. Oh, look at, oh my goodness. All right, so the first bird I've pulled out here is a white-throated sparrow. Um, It does already have a band on it, which means that either we or some other station have banded it previously. So I'm gonna read out that number to start. Okay, 
number is 3041-30821. Again, 3041-30821. And now our scribe is just going to check uh, to see if we've already banded that bird today or in the past like 24 hours, if we've recaptured it, because there's no sense in banding the same bird again on the same day, you'll get the same information and it's more stress for the bird to be processed that many times. We're okay? Okay, perfect. Does it show you where it was banded the last time? If you researched it? Um, you could research it and check that. There's mm -hmm. a system that lets you look up other locations as well, um, but we can just search it in our data. Most of the birds that we're recapturing right now are from our season this year. Okay. Yeah, most of the birds are going to be hatchier juvenile birds, so they haven't migrated too far yet. They don't want to go too far from this beautiful area. Why would you? You've got everything you need right there in their vocabulary. Stephanie, could you just describe what the bird, what, what are the features of the bird that are outstanding? Yeah, absolutely. So the bird overall is a brown bird, um, and one of the main identifying features is it's got this sort of white throat underneath its beak. And see it there and it also has some bright yellow um, bits right above the beak that go in front of the eyes and just over the front of them there. Yes, look at that. It's beautiful. And a long beak. A long beak kind of for the size of the bird, isn't it? Yeah, so Pointy. you can see the beak is um, a little bit thicker and they use that to open up like seeds and other such things and it's pretty characteristic of sparrows to have a beak that's a little I bit chunkier. Sparrows. I just love sparrows. I remember, you know, when, when um, I was going through something and, and every morning you wake up and you go out, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, the sparrows are there. The blue jays know that whatever, but the sparrows are always there. The faithful little sparrows <laughs> in the bird feeder, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So now I'm just going to take some measurements on the bird and um, I'm going to age it and sex it. Um, and then get um, just a little bit other information. So I'm gonna read that off to our scribe right now. Um, so I'm also gonna blow on the bird to check to see if it's molting um, and to check its fat levels. Thank goodness people don't do that with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this bird is molting and it is a first year bird. So it's going to be an FPF a two-by-one. Um, the iris color is a sort of grayish-brown. Yeah, so we can write one three. Um, and then the wing was 68. Um, so for this particular species, we can tell the sex by determining the wing length. Um, there's an upper limit and a lower limit and an in-between. Um, smaller birds will be female and larger birds will be male for this species. Um, the 68 wing length for this bird unfortunately does mean that we don't know the sex. <laughs> so this one's a mystery. <laughs> um, and then the fat level was four. So this one has been bulking up quite a bit. It's a fat bird. It's a fat bird. <laughs> All right, so the last thing I need to do is check the weight. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's 
Great. Well, that's interesting. So you just kind of put it in a tube upside down, and it's but it's very calm. Like for it's not stressed. It doesn't seem very stressed. Yeah, we try to process the birds quickly so that it minimizes their stress. Sometimes they are just a little bit squirmier. They shake around. Sparrows especially can be、um, quite energetic. <laughs>、um, but、uh, that one was pretty docile. Good. Yeah. Good. And I think once you put it into the tube, it sort of relaxes. It's like, oh, I'm stuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a little home. Like exactly, a little,、yeah. exactly. Just trust you, waiting for you to process it. All right, so I'm just gonna pull out our second bird now. This is amazing how you handle them too. It's, it's... Yeah, it, it takes a little bit to learn how to handle the bird.、Um, Sort of being gentle while also firm, because like bird can sense if you're a little unsure, it'll try to take advantage of that and you know squirm away. But when you hold it with purpose, then they're pretty、and、calm. <laughs> it knows it can can count on you.、Right? Exactly, exactly. All right, so this is a hermit thrush.、Um, you can tell because it's got this、um, spotted breast here, and then it also has a rouge tail in comparison to the rest of its body. You can see there. They've got a little bit of a longer, more slender bill compared to the、uh, sparrow that we just saw. Looks like a little miniature hawk, almost. The coloring. The coloring,、miniature. yeah. <laughs> All right. So this one is also a recaptured bird. So I'm going to read off the number again. Three zero four one, four zero four six seven. That's three zero four one, four zero four six seven. Now, scribe's just gonna once again check to see if this bird was already processed today or not. All right, perfect. So,、um, as I'm spreading out the wing on this bird, I'm just checking to see if、um, the feathers have a sort of a buffy tip on them, which is indicative of a hatch here. So, I'm looking for any sort of molt differences. Um, that would let me know that this bird hasn't completely molted all of its feathers yet.、Um, molting all the feathers would mean it's invested a little bit more, and it's an adult bird.、Mm -hmm. So this bird, it does have quite a few of those tips that are a lot lighter than the rest of the other、uh, bits on the feather.、Um, so this is going to be a hatch here bird, and then I'm gonna once again blow on the stomach, check it for the molds and for the fat. <laughs> so this bird is hiding some molt, some pin feathers in there, which is indicative of molt. So it's going to be an FPF, a two by one. And this bird right now, we aren't able to sex at the moment.、Um, during the breeding season, you'd be able to check、uh, its reproductive parts to tell what it is, but that's not apparent right now, especially not in a young bird. They haven't quite developed. So how old would you say this bird is from the from the From the wings that you're looking at,、uh, so it would be a hatch year. So it would be born sometime this summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Wow,、so、that's great. And you got it. Perfect. And then I'm going to measure our wing. This bird has a wing of 88. So it's a little bit longer. You'll see than than the sparrow,、oh. and、um, its fat was three. Perfect. And then once again, we just need to weigh it. Head down into a cone、Head、on the scale, <laughs> and thirty-one point one. 
Wouldn't that be traumatic at the doctor's office if we had to do that? <laughs> I absolutely would Head be. down into a cone to weigh ourselves. <laughs> I would be avoiding the doctor, yeah. <laughs> personally. <laughs> but the birds don't seem to mind too much. No. Well, thank you, Steph. Thank you, all of you, for... For, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming by. What's the cause for celebration? Why's her dancing in the streets? When there's children killing children Am I the only one who sees? What's the need for my religion If it only leads to war It's a sad, sad situation When we forget what love is for Lonely as a sparrow in the rain I'm tired of watching people Feeling our blame causing pain I believe you might just Feel the same Lonely as a sparrow in the rain There's a comfort in compassion There's a peace in harmony There's a way to live together It all begins with you and me Lonely as a sparrow in the rain Tired of watching people Being ugly, causing pain I believe you might just feel the same Lonely as a sparrow in the rain Ooh, Everybody ain't so different Got a soul and we've all got a name Don't wanna be We don't wanna be Lonely as a sparrow in the rain I'm Tired of watching people Being ugly, causing pain I believe you might just feel the same Lonely as a sparrow in the rain I believe you might just feel the same Lonely as a sparrow in the rain
That was a song that we've co-written with our friend Orb Wilson for his EP called Sparrow in the Rain. And before we go, how about we grab another cuppa brew? <laughs> and we're going to fill the kids' bowls with some Boreal pet foods from our sponsor, Boreal. Because Boreal is formulated to provide a balanced and healthy diet for your pet using only the finest Canadian ingredient sources. Boreal pet foods are available at over 205 global pet food locations across Canada. If you remember, Betty shared a story with us about Dr. Troyer, the superstitious doctor who believed in witches. Well, we're going to finish today's episode with another story that includes Dr. Troyer. This is called The Poltergeist of Baldoon, a report written by Sue Demeter St. Clair. I have long been interested in the events known as the Baldoon Mystery. And whilst I admit that elements of the story definitely have the ring of a good folklore, I cannot dismiss the sheer number of witnesses and the volume of good documentation, which suggests that something perhaps not of this world did occur in this tiny Scottish settlement through the years of 1829 to 1831. What was once the community of Baldoon is located in southwestern Ontario near Chatham. It was founded in 1804 by Lord Selkirk and its eventual failure is what prompted him to sponsor Scottish colonization of the western prairies. All that remains today is a plaque which commemorates this site, but makes no mention of the seemingly supernatural events that would make it infamous among Canadian paranormalists. So well known would this story become that there was even a play written about the Baldoon mystery, titled Baldoon by Governor General award-winning author James Rainey and Marty Gervais in the 1970s. Beginning in 1829, the residents of the MacDonald household in Baldoon were subjected to the appearance of a particularly rambunctious and frightening poltergeist. The farmhouse was pelted by stones, seemingly thrown by unseen hands and hails of what appeared to be bullets. Their windows were smashed, water poured from the ceilings with no known source, Mysterious fires would break out, and the very foundation of the house fell as if they were rocked. The McDonald's would awaken in the middle of the night to hear what sounded as if there were many men marching in the kitchen when no one else was in the house. Their baby's cradle would shake violently, and all manners of soap and sundry would fly around the room as if by their own volition. These events, of course, terrified the young family, and of those whom happened by and chanced to witness these strange events for themselves. Scared and quite frankly probably fed up, the McDonalds moved in with John McDonald's father in a house adjacent to their own. Promptly, as if in retaliation for their leaving, the family barn burnt to the ground. The manifestations of poltergeist activity increased despite the change of residence. At this point, many neighbors and folks from surrounding areas had heard of the troubles facing the family in Baldoon. Curiosity seekers would regularly come and visit the, in the hopes of witnessing the poltergeist effects. 
The following is a series of eyewitness accounts to the mysterious happenings. At the time of this trouble, I lived about three quarters of a mile from the place that was present and saw for myself many of these strange things. Mr. Alex Brown, with the others, took a number of lead balls and came in through the window, marked them, tied them in a bag, and dropped them into the center of the Chanel a cart in about 36 feet of water. And in a short time, the ball came back through the window. I was present when the barn was burned and also when a man by the name of Harmon was preaching there. At this time, a large stone came right through the door, breaking out one of the panels and rolled in front of the minister. The stone, apparently, had come out of the water. A search was made about the house, but no person could be seen. I also saw a loaf of bread move off the table and dance around the room. The owner of the house, John T. MacDonald, I know to be a very respectable man. By William Stewart. I went with my father to see what was going on at Beldoon, for I was very young at that time. We saw a pot rise from a hearth and chase, do chase a dog outside and all around the yard. It could not get away from the pot for it would hit the dog and he would yell and howl with all his might. I saw an old-fashioned butcher knife pass through a crowd of 50 men and strike into the wall the whole length of 10-inch blade. This happened in 1830, H. Drulard wrote. The above quotes are courtesy of the Wallaceburg and District Museum. An exorcism was performed by a local preacher and it failed. An attempt at clearing the home by a would-be Michigan ghost hunter also resulted in failure and prompted local authorities to charge Robert Baker with witchcraft. Mr. Baker was convicted and sentenced to one year's imprisonment. He appealed to the Lieutenant Governor and was granted a pardon on May 6, 1830. Whatever became of this ghost hunter goes unrecorded. Convinced that his family had long been cursed, John MacDonald, along with the Methodist minister by the name of McDorman, traveled to Long Point to consult with a then-famed witch hunter by the name of Dr. John F. Troyner. Dr. Troyner's daughter, who is believed to possess the gift of second sight, told MacDonald that she saw a long, low log house in which lived an old woman who wished to drive away his family. She went on to say that this woman had the power to transform herself into a goose and could only be stopped by a silver bullet. MacDonald believed he knew exactly whom this elderly lady was and admitted that a strange goose had recently joined his own flock. As the story goes, MacDonald then returned home, molded a bullet of sterling silver, and in the presence of witnesses, shot the wing of the goose. MacDonald and company then ventured to the suspected witch's house and found the old woman in an agitated state nursing a broken arm. The Baldoon mystery seems to have ended there. No more poltergeist-like manifestations were reported and the strange tale passed into history. As I stated in the opening paragraph, some of the elements of the story sounded much like folklore, particularly in how the poltergeist events were eventually resolved. However, all of the folks involved in these events were actual people, 
including the would-be house clearer and the witch hunter. Events were documented at the time they were occurring and not, as is often the case with myths and legends, presumably many years after the fact. So the question remains, whom or what was haunting the McDonald's and their farm? In all probability, we will never know. Happy Halloween, and thank you for joining us today at Jake's Place Songs and Tales. just tickled to death that you took time out of your busy schedule to stop by and visit us today at Jake's Place Songs and Tales. We hope you enjoyed the show and will consider becoming a subscriber. You can find us and subscribe at your favorite podcast provider. And again, thank you Global Pet Foods for sponsoring this episode of Jake's Place Songs and Tales. Global Pet Foods, where our pets are undeniably part of the family. And to Pure Wet Wipes, you can find them at purewetwipes.com. No water, no problem. Pure Wet Wipes will take care of your monster pet messes. And Boreal Pet Foods, healthy nutrition for pets. And I'd like to personally say a four-paw applause to Tommy Farham for taking care of all of our audio and mixing engineering. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter or would just like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. Please send all your feedback, comments, inquiries, ideas for future shows to tiamagraph.com forward slash Jake's Place. There you'll find our comments section, as well as our Lake Country store. Check out some of our cool merchandise, Jake the Road Dog Book, and of course our CDs. You mean the world to us, and Tom and I are just so thankful to be sharing this beautiful road dog journey with you, one paw print at a time. Until our next episode... Let yourself be crazy beautiful, find the song in your heart, and hey, still some meat on that bone, Jake.